Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And joining me today, we have Mr. Tom Canton from the Guna Talk. Tom uh, is also a writer and a blogger for Football London, um, the Twitter channel Arsenal FC News and uh, the Arsenal Way, as well as um, having his, well, the Arsenal Way is... Uh, you're a co-owner of that, right? It's like well, a YouTube it's, channel, isn't it? Yeah, it's a YouTube channel started up by Football London that I basically help out with with a number of other guys. But yeah, I don't own it in any yeah. sense. Uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah, any legal wrong terminologies. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's yeah, fine. Um, That's Tom, um, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time out to come and chat with us. Um, I'm going to give you a quick um, little fact that I just found out. Tomorrow will mark the one year date since we last spoke. Really? Well, you've yeah. timed that perfectly. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it, but believe me, it was a coincidence. Yeah, I just wanted to check just to see when we last spoke. And um, yeah, 6th of June, 2021. Wow. Oh, nice. It's uh, crazy. How, how have you been? How's life been treating you since um, we last spoke? Yeah, good. I mean, yeah, Football London's kind of kicked off since that point from... Yeah my point of view. So yeah, I wasn't doing that back then. I am now. Um, I'll take credit so, yeah. for that, by the way. Yeah, it's all, of course. <laughs> of course, absolutely. Take all the credit you like. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, look, it's great to have you here with us uh, today on this gloomy looking Sunday morning. Mm. Um, we've got a plethora of subjects to cover. That's right. I'm using big words just for you, Tom. Um, I love, <laughs> I love, like I love your, I, I, yeah, I love your writing style. Um, so I thought, you know, I'd put in the odd um, word that I don't actually know the meaning of. Um, but yeah, we've got loads of things to speak about. Um, we've had a number of international games. We've had a number of different links, different rumors. Um, so we're going to get straight into it. Um, let's, I, I wanted to start off by talking about international break, but we do have, um, a little something to, uh, you know, uh, the elephant in the room, which happens to be the, the Williams uh, Saliba saga, which is ongoing. Mm. And I don't know when this ends, but um, at the time of recording right now, we are, I think we're, we're moments away from that um, supposed interview yeah. that he's got. And us, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we'll probably find out um, more as we're recording, but ha, I mean, have you seen anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to scroll through Twitter and I can't really see anything as of yet. Yeah, but. no, as, not as far as I'm aware. It, it's, it's mad anyway, thinking about a player who's got two years left on a contract has to do an interview about his future. But uh, yeah, we'll see what it is. I mean, obviously the French side of things have built it up quite a lot, so mm. it might not even be what we think it is, um, but we'll we'll see what happens. I, I can't understand how we've allowed um, this much influence <laughs> Um, in the hands of a yeah. what, 20 year old. Uh, mm. I mean, look, you know, the price tag and everything comes with, I guess, the ego, um, the, the, the monster that we've created, but it's not normal to have this kind of scenario, this situation with someone who is, I mean, you know, granted he has had an incredible season uh, at Marseille, mm. but he's yet to play a single game for Arsenal. So how have we managed to kind of let this build up and, is this something that we need to be worried about if he continues um, at Arsenal? Um, I mean, obviously it's going to depend a lot on what is said today, I suppose. But in terms of if we were to apply this to kind of any other example of another player, you know, it's I, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like Arsenal being 
in a sense, out of control of, you know, a player that they've spent a lot on, they've invested a lot in. Um, to be honest, over the last 18 months, I think has been handled fine, you know, been given two loan spells that he's really benefited from. You know, if if there was a genuine issue between him and, say, Mikel Arteta, they wouldn't be putting this much effort into finding him the right clubs to go to, to sending him on these loans to, you know, just allowing him to do this kind of thing. You know, they would have sold him. You know, if they didn't want it, they would have got rid of him. So I... I don't buy into the whole he's been mismanaged for the entirety of his Arsenal career. Has there been mistakes made? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we should have registered him in the summer of 2020. We didn't do that. We should mm. have done. But uh, since January of 2021, you know, the way in which we've handled the Saliba situation has led him to become the player that he is because he'd been given the chance to play regularly, which wasn't going to happen at Arsenal. So, yeah, I'm fine with how we've handled it since 2021. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a strange situation with a bit of a cult following behind him as well. Mm, yeah, and and look, you know, totally justified the 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 anticipation to see him in an Arsenal shirt, the, the ifs, buts, maybes, will he, won't he. And hopefully he does stay on. I mean, do you see mm. a situation where Arsenal are forced to sell him? Well, if he comes out in an interview and says, I want to go, I have no interest in playing for Arsenal again, then it's going to be intriguing how they handle that. Because I think, and it might just be my stubborn personality, but I think I turn around and go, well, you can stick around here for two years and not play. If you, you know, That mm. might just be the, the person I am and pretty stubborn about it. But it's a tough one. I feel like Arsenal need to make sure they come out on top on this and whatever happens for their own reputation, of course. Um, but at the same time, people might question where you what are you going to let him go for? Are you going to let him go for nothing? Is that going to worsen our sales reputation? It's really impossible to know. My hope is that, and this might be out of date within, you know, 20 seconds, but I I hope that he returns um, and I hope that he comes back and gets integrated in place because he's a quality player. He's got loads of potential and talent about him. Yes, he's got mistakes. I think that was, you know, sin across the season. He'd made errors for Marseille this year as most 20-year-old central defenders would. Mm. It's natural to have that in your game. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see if he does indeed come back and play what he can do and I hope he competes with with the players around him and we're going to need him because we've got, you know, an extra competition next year yeah and um, like I said conversations right now are a little bit premature because it could change in the next 20 minutes mm-hmm. so we'll we'll move on swiftly shall we <laughs> until we hear a little bit more um, so international break uh, we ha- we are in the middle of um, the Euro the UEFA Nations League now up until yesterday um, I had no intention of finding out what the, the Nations League was about. Um, uh, usually I'm, I'm, I'm at the forefront of, you know, wanting to know uh, everything mm. about everything, but the, the Nations, yeah, the Nations League for me just doesn't appeal like whatsoever. I mean, what is the purpose behind it? Why? It, I mean, I, I get, I get the argument that it kind of replaces international friendlies. Um, it, yeah. you know, it allows the smaller nations to be able to benefit from a competition that will, um, I guess, you know, like a fast track, almost, um, pathway to the mm. Europe, European, uh, competitions. Um, and sometimes even the world cup, I think, um, I'm not sure how big of an influence it the has. Euros, but- yeah. The Euros. Yeah, that's right. So, um, how much have you been watching it? And um, give me your thoughts about the, the the competition itself. Like, how invested are you in it? Because, you know, I'm not, I don't know. It's just, it seems a bit strange. 
Yeah, look, it's an attempt, obviously, to try and glorify the friendly situation. Um, and yes, I think you hit the nail on the head with some of the, the smaller nations and giving them an opportunity to, to qualify for some of the other competitions, which obviously is, is a positive. I think that's good. Um, but my own personal interest is pretty minimal. You know, international football in general has been... You know, especially now that Arsenal is all encompassing of my entire life at this stage, right? Yeah. I wake up and, you know, talk about Arsenal, then do an eight hour shift writing about Arsenal and then mm. go to bed thinking about Arsenal. When when the season ends, you know, having a bit of a break from football is, is good. Mm-hmm. I watched the England game yesterday because it was on um, during a, a family thing for the obviously the Jubilee thing this weekend. And yeah. uh, so that was on in the background. I was watching it, of course, mainly watching how Dominic Zobosla got on for obvious reasons of my own emotional attachment and <laughs> irrationally to certain players. Um, and it was ironic that obviously he scored the winning penalty to, to give Hungary the win. But honestly, I haven't, that didn't affect my mood, even though I'm an England fan, you know, and mm. I obviously want England to, to succeed and, you know, I was all the emotions in 2018 and then last year in the Euros and stuff. But I really struggle with these meaningless, and it's not completely meaningless because it could lead to a Nations League trophy. But I, if England won the Nations League, am I going to be sitting and telling my grandkids in 50 years' time <laughs> that England won the 2022 Nations? No, I'm not. It's, yeah. it's just not one of those things. So I, I'm not attached to it. If anything, it's an opportunity to see if any Arsenal players do anything. I think Saka brought some life to the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. I watched the the highlights of the France game with Saliba, of course, who we've just talked about. Yeah. I, you know, there's, it's caused quite a bit of a debate about his involvement in Denmark's second goal and what if he was at fault for that I think that he's I think he does everything is within his powers to stop Cornelius from scoring besides diving in and, and blocking the shot which would have been a huge risk anyway and I think he 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 got him into a position where a goal was incredibly unlikely and then it was a brilliant strike from Cornelius in the end that got it past Lloris who if anyone's going to point fingers you should probably point them at the goalkeeper so yeah it's an example to just look at certain players that maybe aren't getting as many minutes as they would do for their club because for their countries they can get more chances but uh, mm. other than that I'm really not you know wildly <laughs> invested in it as a competition yeah and it has a really weird kind of structure doesn't it there's four different leagues mm. um, not the same amount of teams in each league top four move on to the semi-finals and the finals yeah. it's a bit strange I mean look it's, it's good for fanfare I guess um, gets everyone together and um, yeah we can make a bit, bit of a hoo-ha hoo-ha about it uh, but yeah I mean like you mentioned uh, you know when, when it comes to international breaks I've got a keen eye on the, the the Arsenal boys to see what they're like, but also players who have been linked with Arsenal. Um, you, we you know you've you've made the you made comments about the Saliba situation, and mm. um, I read your article about it, and um, I think you made some really good points. Um, I also went back to watch the highlights. Uh, I think France were a little bit hard done by. Um, if not for the physicality of of Denmark, they would have easily brushed them aside. Um, mm. And they, they started the game quite well, actually. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, with 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 international, you know, quote unquote, with international friendlies. This is what I'm referring to. Referring the the, the Nations League to now. Uh, it's it's difficult to take performances like that for face value isn't it uh but when you see individuals flourish and um put in good performances it's difficult to look past that um and i'm referring to uh mill smith rowe who was in action and balligan as well uh with the under 21s i didn't watch the game but i did watch the clip that was going around social media um of course the mill smith rowe goal um, I want to talk about him a little bit in, in, in a little bit more detail because I mm. think this is a player who isn't given as much airtime as maybe he deserves. Um, he's 
often overshadowed by the likes of Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka. But here's someone who had a bit of a mixed season uh, last season. And I'm not sure what is coming up for him in the upcoming mm. season. What, what, what do we reckon is the future for Smith Rowe? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because at the end of last season, um, he trailed off. Uh, interestingly, a little bit like Martinelli. Both of them, Martinelli and Smith Rowe, their impact in the second half was not close to their impact in the first half. Like Martinelli brought in more in regards to kind of, you know, energy and dynamism, but regarding goal output, I think he only had one in 17 or something like that. It wasn't, he wasn't prolific by any means, but he brought more of that to the team. But Smith Rowe, you know, again, these are young guys. I think the expectation around Arsenal and the players that we've got, you know, we're viewing these kids as as 25, 26 year olds already Mm. because they're playing so much football. So I think there's a little bit of uh, the wall in in a sense being pulled over our eyes with it, to be honest, because maybe our expectations aren't glued in the right targets. Our crosshairs are, are aimed slightly further up the the developmental picture that they actually are at right now. So I expect Smith-Rowe to come back and, and, you know, get back into the team and play more. But with the Europa League, there's going to be more opportunities to play more games. You know, we were playing just Premier League fixtures because obviously we were knocked out of the the FA Cup in the second half of the season. But in the first half of the season, we obviously had the League Cup games. There were some fixtures that were still being played midweek too. So there were chances for players like Smith-Rowe to still get more games when Martinelli was playing or vice versa. But that didn't happen in the second half. You know, Smith-Rowe was was on the bench for quite a lot of the second half of of the season because Martinelli was deemed as the, the starter for most of that, which was fine because I think he deserved to be. But... I wouldn't be. I wouldn't say I'm concerned by Smith Rowe's form. I wouldn't say I'm concerned by his future. He scored a great goal. You probably saw from the 21s. Yeah. You know that in terms of taking a shot, an effectively an open goal without the keeper in, but just spank it quite like he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, get it on target. Shows the technique and just the level that he's gone up to um, for Arsenal. You know, I think he still finishes our second highest goal scorer behind Saka last mm-hmm. season. Um, and he really added that aspect of his game. If you remember all the way back to the start of the season, the big question around Smith-Rowe, Saka, and to a lesser extent Martinelli was the question about whether or not they could take their game to the next level regarding goal scoring. And I think we can all say that they achieved that last season. They definitely added that aspect to the game. And for a for a bunch of 20 to 21 year olds to do that collectively for a club the size of Arsenal with the expectation to try and get to the Champions League despite that not really being the expectation at the start of the season is still something to be you know very much buoyed by um by, by what they did so for me it's now about bringing in that connector as a number nine maybe more of an experienced figure than those guys not that not that you know a young striker wouldn't obviously be great but I just think maybe a more mid-twenties a Gabriel Jesus if he is to be the guy and I don't mean Mm. to step on any potential topics you're going to come on to but you know say he is going to be someone like that I think for Smith Rowe that would be beneficial and also I don't mean to cut in on your uh, running order but I know we mentioned Saliba and you may have seen the comments as you yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I was thinking <laughs> whether to mention it now or yeah, later yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I think we can, I can all do it in your voice I think I almost <laughs> sensed it when you saw the yeah. yeah, I think we can all sigh um, a sense of relief mm, yes <laughs> maybe um, uh, there's one quote here I, I belong to Arsenal I have two years left I'll be there for pre-season I played zero matches and I want to show them the real me and to play for this great club and for those great fans it doesn't mm. only depend on me, but leaving now would be a real shame. 
<sighs> oh yeah, it's like a relief, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my head going, "Oh, I'm gonna have to do a show." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, at least we, news, yeah, at least we know now we've got another centre back to cover in um, with uh, White and Gabriel, which is a massive, massive bonus mm. um, when you consider the amount of games that we're going to be playing, but also. I think the lacking of quality um, of on the bench. Um, we don't know what the future holds for Pablo Mari. We know mm. Holding is going to be here for the next few years. Um, really, aside from Holding, am I forgetting about anybody else that can play a centre back? The club, Tommy Asu, Tom, you know, can Tommy play Asu there. potentially when he's fit, yeah. but then you'd prefer him to play as a right back. So him, having him there um, with um, Holding is going to be a massive, massive bonus. And I guess that's something Arsenal really don't need to worry about much. Uh, coming into coming into the summer i mean obviously there's on in all different departments of the pitch um we do need we do, we are lacking in depth but in that one area there now arsenal yeah. i guess can just say right we don't need to look at that in the summer come january or next summer maybe but now um i think we should be okay fingers crossed you know if 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 we if we are not to have any injuries and for the most part white and gabriel have been great this season um yeah to stay injury free right yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that for most of the season, we obviously relied heavily on White and Gabriel to be what we needed them to be. And when Holding was called upon in games, mm. I remember the game at Anfield, you know, he came in, the game at Molyneux when he came in, and obviously we we got out of both of those games with clean sheets. But when it mattered at the end of the season and Holding came in against Spurs, you know, that game will obviously go down as the turning point of our season yeah. um, from being in control of the top four. And he was immature he read the game completely wrong mm. um he got sucked into the emotions of the of the derby and son completely manipulated him in exactly how he wanted to um and because of that we lost that game i i wouldn't have changed the starting 11 really besides perhaps putting cedric and tommy s on on the opposite flank you know at the time yeah. i thought I thought if you play Cedric on the left, you've still got to deal with with Kulisevsky. Um, although I think it was was Kulisevsky not fit to start. Like I can't remember the lineup because I've tried to erase it from my memory. But <laughs> whoever played on the right hand side, you know, it was still always going to be a challenge for for Tommy Asu. But yeah, with with the benefit of hindsight, in reflection, it probably was based upon how the game went better mm. if we had have put Tommy Asu up against Son. But Holding should have done better. He's the most experienced centre back that we have. Exactly. You yeah. know, I think he's. I think of the st- of the squad that played last season. He's the only player with Champions League experience at Arsenal. You know mm. that tells you kind of how long he's been at the club. Like he's he's played, I think, one game in the Champions League for Arsenal from the right at the start of his career. So that that, uh, that I'm really trying to think back if there is anyone else, but I think he might be the only one because Xhaka came in the year. I think that we went out possibly, but mm. maybe there's a couple more. But anyway, yeah, it's holding is a player that will only be. A, a bit part player for Arsenal from now. Mm. And White and Gabriel, I mean, what did you make of the, the White signings? 50 million quid, it drew a lot of attention, especially when, of yeah. course, we had Saliba already. Um, uh, th- there's always going to be that added, you know, quote unquote English tax. And I guess when you, mm-hmm. when you, when you put that into the equation, it's understandable, but 50 mil for a centre back is a, a hell of a lot of money. You put, you add 30 mil to that price tag and you've got a Virgil van Dijk. Mm. And, 
right now, you, you certainly wouldn't put Benoit and, and Virgil van Dijk in the same um, bracket. But I can understand why Arteta wanted to sign him. You look at the qualities that he brings. You look at the qualities that he brought at Brighton. Um, his yeah. ball, ball playing abilities, uh, long balls going forward, long diagonal balls across the pitch as well. And I guess it, it adds to... Um, the tactical mindset of Arteta and the preparation for the upcoming season, uh, talking back to last summer, of course. And um, it, it, it fills me with a little bit of confidence that they are signing players for specific roles, not just he looks good, he could be a good defender. Um, here's someone who is built like a, you know, I take the quote from from holding feel like a shit um a brick a shit brick house shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but you know for look uh, he 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 very quickly did win fans over when he when he first signed i think the 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 more questionable signing last season and maybe the signing that overshadowed um Ben White signing was was signing of Aaron Ramsdale, and um, when you add to uh, who else was bought in, Martin Odegaard was bought in, uh, Tommy Asu yeah. obviously yeah. last day, Tavares. and um, Tavaj as well, Sambi. Um, so there mm. were quite a bit of there was quite a bit of activity happening last last season, last summer. And I think all of that when you put that into the equation, um, yeah. it. It, it you know it deflated um, the you know any stresses or any um, I don't know. Well, I think there was uncertainty, wasn't there, from fans about what we might do um, mm. in, in the summer. What I, what I always kind of praise Arteta for, which is something I don't think he gets enough praise for, is that for, for about a decade at Arsenal, we know that we needed to replace Patrick Vieira. We know that we never got in the, the, the top-class centre-backs that we needed. We always kept on, you know, when we needed a centre-back, we, we spent 72 million on Pepe, you know, mm. and we did things like this when that money would have been so much better spent you know, somewhere else. We could have brought in, you know, a, a much less hyped up winger who probably would have done a similar job to what Pepe's ultimately done. Sure, with the benefit of hindsight, I can say that, but I, I do think we could have spent, say, 20, 30 million on a wide forward and got a very decent return and then spent, say, 40 to 50 million on a centre-back during that season with Emery and maybe we get top four rather than missing out by one point. Hmm. So the thing that Arteta has done is that he's identified those areas. You know, he brought in Thomas Partey, he brought in Gabriel and then the following season, you know, backed that up with with Wyatt and Tommy Asu and Ramsdale. He's completely built a whole new back four and goalkeeper, you know, in the mm. space of two summers. And I think sometimes that goes under the radar. You know, we kept 13 clean sheets, I think it was last season, which is the first time we've done that since 1718. Mm -hmm. And that, I know a lot of people point towards the amount of goals that we let in, but I think actually the more accurate way to discuss whether or not a team's improving defensively is to look at the goal, the, the, the clean sheets. Because when you look at goals, there's so many more contextual factors. Like you think about how young the squad is. Like when they concede a goal like Ramsdale concedes, their heads drop. They're more likely to concede more goals. We conceded nine in the first three games because we just didn't have the players available because of COVID and, and you know, we hadn't made all the signings at that point. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to look at the goal tally and say, well, it's worse than last season, so therefore we must have defended worse. When actually the number of clean sheets in Premier League games that we kept was higher. So I think I look at that and go, defensively, we've improved. And then if you look at the last 10 games of the season, we didn't have our starting fullbacks on most of that. We didn't have Thomas Partey. And had those players been there, I genuinely believe we would have got top four. So yeah, signings like Ben White, I think have been really beneficial and show a change in the rhetoric about how Arsenal are approaching the market. Yeah, and it you know it also shows the um, signs of the detail going into the football that we want to play. Um, uh, here's a question for you um, that yeah. I've been asking quite a few other people. I think this summer, 
Um, it, had we qualified for the Champions League, we we wouldn't need to be asking this question because Arsenal would have enough money and um, the 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 pull, the appeal to sign you know yeah. all the players that they needed. But we've missed out on Champions League football. We're in the Europa League. Mean, meaning we have less money and we have a less less pool. So Arsenal realistically are going to need to address um, one of the two kind of brackets of signings. You either go for top quality signings or you go for yeah. a, a huge number of um, signings to fill in the depth. What do Arsenal prioritise? Really good question. And it's tough, isn't it? Because I mean, We've got these competitions. You need to make sure that you're not positioning yourself similar as we did last year, the way we're stretched too thin. But at the same time, there are positions that we need to significantly upgrade in. Midfield and striker, you look at and you go, they are the ones. You know, We need to make sure that we've got a better central midfielder and more importantly, in my view, a better striker or two to come into the team because the gap between us and Spurs was created not only by Antonio Conte, of course, coming out, I don't want to disregard that, but having Kane and Son got them top four. Mm. You know, They are the difference between Arsenal and Spurs. They have two two world-class players and we have not, we don't really, I mean, Partey, when he's playing week in, week out, the top of his game, in my view, is a world-class player. Saka's got the potential to be world-class. Odegaard's got the potential. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got potential world-class players. But Kane and Son are legitimate, established, world-class talent that we just don't have. And so when it comes down to the games and the North London derby that really mattered, they're the two players that stepped up and decided that game. And it turned the tides of, of the fixture. And then we went into the Newcastle game. We didn't have those players to respond for us. You know, we I think the young team was still very affected by that, that Spurs defeat and Newcastle had nothing to play for. And their freedom kind of scared us in that game. And we, we played it horribly, as we know. So... I think it's a balance and it sounds like a cop-out answer. Um, yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, th I think it's because it's the honest truth. Like, yeah. if, I was to, if I was to be brave and say one or the other, would I rather see, say, six signings come in across those positions that, you know, good signings? Or would I rather see three or four brilliant signings? I think I'd lean towards the three or four because I think that's what's going to take Arsenal mm. from where they are now to that next step. We might cost ourselves with injuries again sure and I mean there was that report that came out yesterday I think it was when we we're recording on Saturday uh, Sunday sorry saying that Arteta has scaled back his plans you know yeah. he's gone for three and obviously there was a big reaction to that but I don't think there necessarily should be because I think actually had we gone to Champions League maybe he was talking about scaling back the amount of really top quality players we were bringing in hmm. if we bring in three as the report said you know striker wide forward centre midfielder and then that doesn't rule out other signings, you know, like Matt Turner that we've already made, this mm -hmm. Marquinhos kid that might be coming in. Perhaps we go for a, an exciting young fullback that isn't considered part of that group of elite players that we want to sign. So I think people maybe look too binary at things. They look at the surface and they don't necessarily dig deeper and think, actually, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe we would have got, say, five or six top, top players had we have got Champions League. Now we'll get three and some others to, to bulk out the squad, which I don't think necessarily would be an awful window. And let's not forget as well, we've still got players coming back from uh, their loan spells. Um, mm, I'm talking about, you know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, big question marks about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson. Um, mm. Obviously, we mentioned Pablo Mari. Hector Bellerin, what's going to happen with him? We're going to we're gonna come <laughs> and talk, talk about yeah. him um, in a minute. But, you know, the, the depth issue could be uh, filled by those players, but also not to forget what we did last summer and the type of the profile of players that we brought in, none of them were really world-class elite footballers that you would, you know, think about straight away. Sure. Um, you know, Ben White, um, who else was there? Tommy Yasu. Um, yeah. I mean, 
Uh, I don't really want to <laughs> mention Tapaz in that in the same breath. Um, but Odegaard, I mean, a, a still, yeah, yeah, yeah. however much we we spent, we, we, and 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 um, there are others as well in the market who have one one year left on their contract. Um, mm. You know, uh, we're going to talk about where is he? Um, Tielemans, twenty five years old, twenty five yeah. mil potentially. Um, Serge Gnabry, I know far-fetched, but you know, these are the kind of, I mean, if Arsenal are smart in this window, they could, like you said, they could do a mix of both. They could accomplish all the, all their objectives for, for this uh, summer and sign some really top young players who other clubs are overlooking because, mm. um, you know, like United, for instance, last, last summer, uh, the signings of Varane, Ronaldo, Sancho, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. uh, poor recruitment because they were desperate. They panicked. And sure. if Arsenal, and one thing that I give Edu and Arteta massive amounts of credit for is the planning process that they have um, created has been really carefully thought through. I think we can all yeah, see that yeah. at this stage. Uh, but Do you think it's yeah. too careful sometimes? You know, like January, they weren't willing to say, yeah. take a risk on yeah. someone. And I think sometimes taking risks is an important part of a successful transfer plan for a club. I think, you know, we've seen risks pay off for us in the past. And then there's, you know, others like Nicolas Pepe, et cetera, haven't. But, maybe not taking that risk in January. Because I remember talking to Ask Blog and Clive about this on our January podcast that we did. And, and all of them were trying to reassure me saying, look, we've not panicked. We've changed the way in which we approach transfers for the first time because we've not gone out and panicked. But actually, maybe we could have done with a little bit of panic in January because it may have yeah. made a difference. Um, it's a difficult conversation to yeah. have though. Well, this is it. This is, this is the difference. And I, I genuinely do believe that that January window did cost us top four because you look at the right our rivals down the road mm. with a manager with a Absolutely. massive amount of experience who went out in January and signed two really crucial players for them, Benton Court mm. and um, Kulisevsky, who some might argue actually pushed them uh, across the line. Arteta and Eddie, on the other hand, who lacked that experience, made a judgment call and it backfired. And, you know, mm. this is something we're going to have to live with. This is something that we're going to have to experience um, a lot more going down uh, the the next few seasons, you know, we forget often how young these guys are and how inexperienced they are. They're going to have yeah. to make those bold decisions that are going to backfire and they'll learn from those. Um, had we signed a number nine, you know, it could have been anyone, but a few extra goals, four or five extra goals, I think would have secured uh, that top four. Who would you have signed out of interest? Um... This is the hard question, yeah, isn't it? It right. is, it is, because, because I remember only one player being really heavily linked. And that player happened to be someone who was yet yeah, always going to go to Juventus and Arsenal were made to look, made to be the smokescreen. Um, yeah. You know, I could have taken, we could have taken, um, I don't know, we could have taken a 30 year old, uh, we could have taken anyone on loan, you know? Yeah. We could have taken yeah. a, a player, you know, uh, I look at Liverpool's, um, what's his face? Um, Origi. Origi. I looked at Origi, yeah. perfect. Mm. He doesn't play for Liverpool. Get him on loan or just buy him outright because he's a decent striker yeah. who turns up at the right times. You need yeah. someone to come off the bench and to give you fresh energy and to be a goal threat. He's that guy. I'm actually really surprised he's still at Liverpool, but um, he's there we gone go. this summer now, actually. He's gone to AC Milan. He's oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Contract. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a player um, who 
who ticks all the boxes, very similar to someone like mm. Tammy Abraham as well, who I think would have been the perfect signing for Arsenal last season. Uh, the right build, the right quality, the right uh, style of player that Arsenal need. Very versatile, fox in the box, but also just mm. aerially dominant as well. Uh, physical. And that's that's what Arsenal are missing. And actually talking about number nines, we've got one that has just left. Um, we found out, uh, I think a couple of days ago, that Lacazette won't be renewing his contract and he it looks like he's going to be going back to Leon. Um yeah. I want to I wanted to just touch on I guess his kind of his legacy at the Emirates sure. and some of the moments sure. that we remember about him. Um what's what started out to be a really promising signing didn't really end up flourishing the way that we thought it would. Yeah, no. Um look, whatever we did that summer, you know, because we were, we were going to bring in a striker. That was always the main thing during that summer. 20, oh, my mind's going to go play. 2017, was it? 2017, 2018? I think it maybe have been that season. Uh, maybe five years, isn't it? So yeah, mm-hmm. it would be mm-hmm. 2017. Um, and I think that Lacazette was a player that had been linked to Arsenal consistently for about two or three summers. Um, yeah. And he never made that switch. Uh, it was clear that Arsenal had an interest in him and that they'd been watching him and, you know, Arsene Wenger does enjoy a French striker, as we know, mm. um, having signed a fair few of them in Elka, Henri Giroud and now Lacazette. So it was always a case of one of those signs that we expected to happen at some point. And it did. The issue was, is that it happened at a time that Alexis was on his last legs at Arsenal, wanted to move on and leave and therefore did in January. And what we did in January by signing a Bamiang, no matter how good he is, and this isn't a criticism of him as a player, it was just the wrong signing, you know, because we completely undermined Lacazette signing by making a striker the replacement for Alexis Sanchez. Despite the fact he can play in a wide area as he did well, you know, it, it just completely torpedoed the chance for Lacazette to become Arsenal's number nine for the for his five-year contract, which never happened. And maybe that's why it didn't succeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, the... The, the, the player that we first signed in Lacazette um, is a completely different player now because of mm-hmm. just that, because he's had to play second fiddle. And I guess that that does have a psychological impact on a player, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, he's done a, a, a sterling job for the amount of time that he's been here. I think something that I will always admire about Lacazette, um, which I hope all players would have, is the professionalism and yeah. it's just the 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 ability to no matter what the situation is and you know he didn't have the last few years were quite tough for Lacazette and you could tell that you know he wanted mm-hmm. to move on and maybe you know kickstart his career somewhere else but he was determined to uh stick it out um you know see that see the see the see the rest of his uh contract out and he did it in a way that you know you wouldn't have been able to tell that after he was on his last no. few years no. or um you know there were you know quote unquote issues you know when when Aubameyang left I was convinced that something was going to happen to Lacazette maybe um he would have he would have followed suit but um yeah. yeah he's been he's been an incredible professional and um I'll, I will cherish some of the incredible goals that he scored uh, as well you know I think back to the Newcastle lob um that uh, yeah. few, few few seasons ago, last season, the goal against Southampton, uh, one of the you know top tier echelon Arteta esque, you could even put it in the Wenger category as well, kind of goals, um, and the many goals they scored against the uh, Spurs as well. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Alex, and very good luck to the rest of your career. Uh, sticking with strikers, there are there's definitely going to be 
a number nine that we're going to sign because that that number has now become vacant and it's mm, going to yeah. be big big shoes to fill um well big big number to fill we are very close i think to signing one um dare i say it but it looks like jesus is on his way to the emirates and we will find out um, i mean <laughs> you know i've got it wrong plenty of times before but yeah. um his agents made comments about uh, you know, finalizing, wrapping up uh, deals come the end of these um, games for Brazil. Yeah. And uh, plenty of reports coming out that the fee could be uh, 40 mil um, with uh, a, a contract of maybe potentially 200 grand a week. Mm, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about Jesus and let's talk about others. Uh, do you think that he fits the mold that Arteta needs from his number nine? Um, it's a good question. And it's it's one of those where I still don't 100% know what Arteta wants from a yes. number nine. Because- I think that is the most demanding position yeah. of all the position because Aubameyang couldn't fit it. Lacazette couldn't fit it. Mm. Nketiah doesn't fit Maybe. it, in my opinion. Well, potentially. it's interesting because, yeah, potentially, but I think that it's interesting you say it doesn't fit it because if we're talking about what Arteta wants, well, he said that he wants Nketiah, like he wants him to stay. So mm. perhaps what we're seeing from Nketiah is, you know, the perfect example. But I agree with you that there's doubts about whether or not he can actually do that over the long term. We only know what he can do from these small glimpses, which has not been his fault you know he's not been given the chance he was at the end of last season and I think we can all agree that he, he took that chance you know five goals and eight starts was good but yeah it's Jesus is he's not a player that presses he's a player with lots of energy you know he tracks back he's got loads he'll get stuck in but he doesn't chase the back line like Nketiah does like you look at his pressures per 90 they're nowhere close to Nketiah's so whilst he has the energy to, to get around the pitch and track back and move into the right spaces he's not going to press the same way that Nketiah does. So if the, yeah. if Arteta wants a striker that wants that's going to press for the 90 minutes, that's not Jesus. But what Jesus does do is that he's got great movement, he's got great technical ability. I wouldn't say he's rapid, I wouldn't say he's slow, but he's you know, he's got he's quick on his feet, but he's not an Abamyang level in his mm. prime speedy guy in behind. But he is someone who's great if you want to get the ball to him in the penalty area. Whilst he needs to work on his finishing when he is I don't want to come across Michael Owen and say something ridiculously boring and obvious, but like when you know when he's when he's on form or when he's when he's got his shooting boots on, he will score you plenty of goals and has shown that, especially in the second half of last season for Man City. I think his finishing is improving. I think it's getting better. I think with some of the finishes that he he attempted and completed in the second half of last season for City showed that development. I also think that he's a big game player. You know, he scored against Chelsea, Real Madrid, Liverpool. He scores against the big teams when it matters. He doesn't cower away from big moments and when the pressure's really on him. And I think Arsenal have needed someone like that where in the big games, Aubameyang and Lacazette, especially in the North London derbies that we lost, were very isolated. You know, they they didn't take the game by the scruff of their neck. They didn't want to get involved in the same way. Whilst Lacazette scored in North London derbies, these were often chances laid on a plate for him bar that banger that he scored at the North uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think the season before last. And uh, I think Jesus will give Arsenal a lot more in those big games that those other players haven't necessarily done. Yeah, and I also think that um, you know a, a lot of people have been debating whether Jesus is the right signing. Should we go for this person, mm. that person? But I think one of the big benefits that Jesus brings is his versatility, because Arsenal and Arteta probably knows that he hasn't got uh, the amount of signings that he's going to need this season. He's going to need to buy players who 
are versatile, who can fit into different positions. And, you know, him being able to play as a wide forward as well just adds to the, I guess, I guess the, 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 um, mm-hmm qualities you know um that yeah. arsenal need especially if you're looking at uh, the departure of um nicola pepe uh, which seems imminent um but yeah. yes with premier league experience as well with his relationship with Arteta, it does seem like there is uh he does have that it factor i don't know maybe mm-hmm. i'm pushing it a little bit um but i've always felt that arsenal deliver the goods and they 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 tend to uh, tick all the right boxes in the transfer window when they sign players who we are unfamiliar with. And yeah, one of yeah. the players that we've been signed with, we've been sorry, we've been linked with heavily is um, Sassuolo striker Gianluca Scamaccia. Um, and yeah. I have to be honest, haven't heard of him, didn't hear of him uh, until now. I, 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 is he a? Is this a, le- a legitimate um, link, or is, are we again just being played as a smokescreen? No, it's legit. Arsenal have an interest. Um, you know, I've, it's been confirmed across both Italian and English media that that we have an interest. I think that the Italian side of things is certainly feeling like we've made a bid. That I don't know. I, I don't know whether or not we, that we can legitimise that yet. It's certainly not been cross-reported on our side of things um, or across English media at all. The English side of things has reported an interest um, in, in Skamaka and specifically the Athletic broke that news from an English side of things, which you know I'd have no qualms in, in believing the truth behind that. So the interest is real. Whether or not we have followed through with a bid that's supposedly been rejected according to Republica, I, I, I don't know. Um, Republica also, I think, reported that Arteta, you know, has been following this guy for a fair few months now that he's, he's got him on his list of, I want this guy kind of level. The interesting thing about this is obviously the Jesus situation is very advanced, you know, th- mm. as we spoke about. It looks like a deal that's, that's probably, if you were a better man, you'd be pretty confident about seeing get done this summer. Things can still change, of course, and I don't want to say to people that this is guaranteed that it's going to happen, but as you know, changes happen very quick in football, but it is seeming like one of those deals you'd think will get done. If we are being linked with Skamaka in the same way, what interests me about that is that there is maybe an intention for Arsenal to still go out and bring in those two, two forwards, despite the fact that Arsenal are wanting and are very keen to renew Nketiah's contract. The, the worry with Nketiah was that if he signed a new deal, that would stop us from maybe signing two other forwards. I've always said that I want to see Arsenal bring in three forwards this summer, one of them being a more wide thinking forward which Jesus in fairness can occupy both the left and right hand side roles if you need him to and does that very well as Guardiola says himself so if Skamaka and Nketiah are the two out and out strikers and Jesus is that wide forward that can also play at striker I think that's something we can be very happy about as a window you know Nketiah is is always going to be the big question mark he's always going to be the the punching bag in a way for fans that are very critical of the club to say, you know, Nketiah should not be at Arsenal. He's not good enough to be at Arsenal. We should not be trying to sign players like him and we certainly shouldn't be giving them a hundred grand a week. However, if you took his name away and you took all you know about Nketiah away and you said that Arsenal this summer will sign Gabriel Jesus, they will sign Skamaka from Sassuolo and they will bring in a guy on a free that scored five Premier League goals in their last eight starts, you know, and you knew nothing of Nketiah. I think Mm. people would go, wow, that's a pretty darn good window regarding the forwards. So I, I would be very happy to see those three as our striking options for next season. Um, But the, my honest answer on, on Skamaka or Skamacha, I have we want to pronounce him, Mm. um, is I would give that a, I'm not sure that will happen. 
yeah. kind of feel about it. So, mm. yeah. I get that impression as well. Um, but I don't know what it is about me, but when I look at any players that are being linked, especially for that number nine role, I always first yeah. look at their build and their physique. And I guess that's the probably the only reason why I have question marks over Nketiah. <laughs> Otherwise, he's yeah. brilliant. Like he's, his work rate off the ball is fantastic. He is a poacher. He's a fox in a box. He does like to run in behind. He has good, decent finishing abilities. They're getting better and better. His build and physique is building. He does look like he's getting stronger. He looks a lot more physical but um, that, the, the question marks about his height and his just aggressiveness on and off the ball will always be a doubt for me and I guess that's why someone like Gianluca Scamaccia just fits mm-hmm. the mould looks perfect um, it almost feels a bit silly to be talking about so many players being linked to Arsenal when the window hasn't even opened yet and I'm sure there are going to be a number of other different number nines that are going to be linked uh, yeah. to Arsenal but um, I want to just um, segue to back to the players that we currently have and potential decisions about what could be happening with certain individuals. Let's talk about Nuno Tavaj. Um, hmm. He had a bit of a topsy-turvy season last season, his debut season really, wasn't it? And talks, are, um, st- talks have started about potentially loaning him out um, to give him that you know, extra boost yeah. of experience or keeping him to use him um, in other competitions like the Europa League, League Cup, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think has happened with Tavaj? I mean, what was the general perception about Tavaj when he first came in and has he delivered on that expectation? Because I feel like we've unfairly treated Tavaj in the sense that we knew that we were signing a 20-year-old from Benfica who wasn't always the finished article, who wasn't the best um, of the of the bunch who are out there. But this was a kid who had, uh, you know, quality, um, who had ability and who could flourish into something. Um, and I guess you could put him in the same bracket as players like Mill Smith-Rowe, Saka and Martinelli in the sense that they are just so raw, you know? Yeah, I think the, the thing is, is that Tavares was not highly rated when he came in. You know, mm. I remember... Do you remember the kind of social hype that came from supposed Benfica fans saying they were laughing that Arsenal had got him? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. That they weren't keen on him. So if anything, he's, you know, exceeded expectation because there wasn't really any expectation when he arrived. I think that there was a there was more about him built up in the first half of the season. I think that his performances against, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Watford, Newcastle, Aston Villa, Leicester City away... All of those four games in particular really raised the profile of him. You know, even when Tierney came back, he was on the bench. He was being kept out of the team at that point. I think people very quickly forget that period of games Mm. that he played because then the Liverpool game came after that and that ended our unbeaten run. And he had a nightmare where he played the ball to Jota and Jota scored and the Mm -hmm. game went away from us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we were ever going to win that game. Um, And whilst I think, you know, ultimately it's it fell very heavily in in Liverpool's favour after that mistake was made. And, you know, there was not really a chance of us coming back at that point. But I didn't write him off based upon that mistake. I think then obviously that mistake led Arteta to go, now's the good time to bring Tierney back into the side. Um, And eventually, you know, Tierney did come back. And I'm not sure if he came back in straight away. I think Tavaj may have still played the game after Liverpool, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But Tierney came back and eventually started the rest of the games until he got injured. Obviously, we had the situations at Forest and then the Palace game where Tierney was injured and he was taken off before starting a second half in both of those fixtures. 
But Arteta maintained that, you know, Tavares' mentality was still good. He was training well and he still brought him back into the team, whether he felt that was forced or not. Because if you remember, he played Xhaka against Brighton disastrously. Um, but he still brought Tavares back in. He could have persisted with Xhaka and he has done in the past rather stubbornly. Um, and he didn't have to do that, but he did. And I think Tavares maybe alone would be good, but there's definitely a player there. You know, there's something about Tavares that I like. I like his, uh, I like his uh, power. I like his running ability. I love his fearlessness. Mm. You know, all of those things I think are really good about him. It's just that finesse that he doesn't have yet. I hope, and I say yet very optimistically because it's finesse in a top level footballer is something that usually is a, is gifted you know it's not something that's developed it's not something that's learned you kind of have it or you don't and it's what usually as Clive says to me it's what separates Premier League players from lower league football players is first touch and Mm. I'm not Mm. sure whether or not he does have that because I've seen glimpses of it as we saw in the first half but in the second half of the season yeah it, it wasn't there yeah, I mean, look, I think um, when it comes to Premier League footballers, I think 90% of their game comes from confidence. Um, and the other 10 is just natural ability. Um, I look at someone like Henderson, who mm-hmm. signed for Liverpool, and it was a weird kind of signing, but he's the glue that brings everyone together. And I'm not, I don't want to put him in the same bracket as Tavaj, but I feel like, um, like you said, there is just bags of ability there. His running ability, his explosiveness, uh, confidence on and off the ball, regardless of how many mistakes he makes, he still goes for those runs, those, those, <laughs> those clueless runs. Um, but the question is, do we loan him out or do we keep him? Because I think this is the problem that Arsenal have this summer for their mm. fullbacks. They've got two really exceptional starting fullbacks in Tierney and Tomiyasu. But you look at the their understudies, Tavaj and Cedric, and I begin to worry because see, here are two starting players who are prone to injury. And if their understudies aren't half decent, at least... Um, we've got something to worry about because teams will exploit those areas as Spurs did uh, against us with um, Cedric, who I think had a really tough um, afternoon. Uh, was it? In, was it? In, sorry, tough evening. And um, yeah. Tommy Asu, who was you know still coming back to fitness, um, looked half the man himself. Uh, so if Tabaj goes out, we need to sign someone in. Um, Cedric yeah. as well. Cedric is not going anywhere. So how, no. how are you feeling about this situation with the with the fullbacks? What do we do to kind of solidify it? The right back situation, I'm I'm not as concerned about. I wrote about this yesterday, actually, that we've kind of opened a pathway for Brook Norton Cuffey, who's a really exciting young right back coming through. I yeah. wax lyrical about and will inevitably fail because I've done so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, look, I think Cedric did an okay job, you know, covering Tommy Asset. The problem was, is that he had to do that okay job for a too long period of time. Hmm. Tommy Asset was never meant to be out for that long. We never wanted him to be out for long. And obviously they never really expected him to. But Cedric, especially in those games where we, I think it was February to March time, you know, where he was playing and Tommy wasn't there. Cedric did a really good job. You know, we won most of the games that he was playing in. (laughs) It was only with the crux part of the season when we then lost Tierney that it went wrong. Because Tierney provided the balance. Tierney basically operated as Tommy Asu on the left-hand side for so much of the point where Cedric was in. And that's why we managed to keep the balance of the defence. But as soon as Tierney went, yeah, it, Cedric was exposed with Tavares for you know, how weak you know Gabriel and White could be if we don't have 
fullbacks that can offer that defensive security that they need when they want to play out from the back. I think in the summer that this Aaron Hickey link is is good. I like the Zinchenko link a lot. I yes. think it's a really smart bit of business if that we can do something like that because he covers left back and I think could actually there's potential for him to start in our midfield. Yeah. Uh, I think people maybe underrate what he could do in the midfield could potentially be a Xhaka replacement and upgrade in that position and give us more going forwards too. What that does for Yuri Tielemans, I don't know, but you know, it would be interesting what indeed does happen is Zinchenko's brought in. If you can get someone like him, do it. He's great. Um, very underrated player. Um, but yeah, the right back situation will be kept. And I think this opens a pathway for someone like Norton Cuffey, who hopefully mm-hmm. will have a strong preseason. Yeah. But left back, it needs addressing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you say, links to Zinchenko and Hickey are positive. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned the central midfield position. And I think if you had asked me a few months ago, um, what is the, you know, the priority? Where do we need to strengthen or what do we need to address in the summer? I would have said central midfield. Um, I know, you know, with Shaka and Part A striking up somewhat of a weird, really good partnership. Um, mm. But just again, the depth issue with our Nenny and um, God, I forget his name. Lukonga. Really bad. Lukonga, yeah. Uh, mm. Lukonga, who is, let's be honest, not really ready for first team football. I think that Arsenal need to buy realistically in order for us to compete in all the competitions that we're going to be involved in next season. Mm-hmm. We need two central midfielders um, who can start and play off on the bench as well. And someone who, again, we have been really strongly linked with and it looks like it could be a done deal come uh, the end of this month mm-hmm. um, is Yuri Tillemans, 25 yeah. years old. He's made 32 appearances for Leicester, um, fit, ready, brings backs of quality as well in the midfield, picks up the ball, is progressive, is explosive, scored that, uh, you know, that, that um, important goal for uh, Leicester to win the FA Cup for them. Mm-hmm. And is only reported to be 25 mil. I checked on transfer marked um, as I usually do. And yeah. they've, <laughs> as we all usually do, they've um, <laughs> projected his, 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 um, his, his label to be 50 mil. So that would be a really, positive bit of business if Arsenal can get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, the transfer market values, of, as we know, are, you know, are usually a little bit yeah. um, wider than mark. But I've, I've started to use CIES, who are the Football Observatory, uh, and they have their own value system as well. They do it in euros, but it's I think it's more accurate because it gives you a bit of a range. Okay. And I mean, they, they value them at 40 to 50 million euros. So you're looking at 35 to 45 million pounds. Mm-hmm. So even then, you're getting a really good player, you know, for 25 million quid, which is when you consider how much we might end up having to pay for Jesus, who also has a year left on his deal, you know, that is more reflective of a player that has that year, just a year left on his deal. But Tillemans would be a really good step in the right direction. It would be another uh, signing from a Premier League club, which is something we haven't done in the past up until we started buying Ben White and Ramsdale. You know, we'd signed Premier League players, but they were surplus, Willian, Cedric, Welbeck, check you know players that weren't starting for their teams now we're signing players that start for premier league teams and it's causing a difference in how good we look and how much our improvement in uh recruitment has been so telemans and jesus and possibly zinchenko those signings represent a step in the right direction that we've desperately needed for a long time and that we're continuing to take after last summer so yeah telemans would be I think a really smart option for us Mm. Uh, yeah I think when you when you talk about um the most important, the most valuable position in a football team um, 
you took Thomas Partey mm. out of that equation, uh, you know, the last few months of the, the last two months of last season and everything fell apart. Um, I think if Arsenal were to sign Tillemans, it would be a great signing. But I think it's equally important to make sure that we sign the right midfielder who can play alongside Thomas Partey, who has the 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 blend of um, qualities needed to bounce off each other. Um, yeah. if, that's one thing that I've learned, that I learned watch, watching, having watched uh, Shaka and Partey, they just, they bounce off each other so well. So I just wanted to ask you, what makes for you the perfect central midfielder? What qualities do they need to have um, in order to fit into the mould? It's a really good, it's a really, another really good question um, regarding kind of the, yeah. what that means because central midfielders changed. Like I remember when I was growing up, I thought centre mid is, you know, Gerard Lampard, that's central midfielder. Yeah. That's just the staple when you're growing up. You, But when you start to really look into that position, you've got a six, you've got an eight, you've got a 10, you know, there's so many different variations of what a centre mid is. If I was thinking about a centre mid, pure and simple, you're thinking box to box, someone who can go, do jobs at both ends of the field, great passer of the ball, has got the potential to score a bit of a goal from range possibly, uh, and digs in full of energy, uh, a bit of a terrier at the back at times if need be. Um, and he's just a, a jack of all trades and master of plenty of them rather than none. Uh, I think that's kind of the perfect centre midfielder. So Partey for me was always going to be a dream signing because I think he offered us so much. I don't think it's necessarily worked out as well as I thought it would. Injuries, I think, have obviously had an impact on that. Mm. But Partey is kind of the perfect example of a central midfielder that I'd like to see, maybe with some better shooting from range. But <laughs> you know, Partey yeah. shooting from yeah. range is, doesn't leave much to be desired. Tielemans, though, to compare, doesn't have the defensive side that yeah. Partey does but he certainly has a lot more for him in the offensive sense. Mm. If you combine Partey and Tillemans, you'd probably have pretty close to a perfect central midfielder, to yeah. be honest. Um, so that's not necessarily a bad thing that we have both of them in the same team, because that's what we can afford to invest in right now is one is two players who can do the, the roles of an, annoyingly. I know it sounds really degrading to say that, but two players are doing the role of one because mm -hmm. we, you know, Arsenal signing a world-class central midfielder. There aren't too many out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you look across the leagues and either they're aging like Modric and Cruz and Gundogan mm -hmm. or they're not there yet like Jude Bellingham, who if you're going to sign someone like Jude Bellingham, he's going to go to a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Real Madrid. You know, we aren't in the bracket of teams that can really tempt a Jude Bellingham to Arsenal. I don't want to be saying that negatively, but that is the painful reality that we have right now. So mm -hmm. Arsenal bringing in... Partey and having Tielemans, I think gives us, you know, the best of both worlds into players whilst we do that. And then we build ourselves up to the point where we can then go out and sign a Jude Bellingham when he or somebody similar is in their mid twenties and we can go out and do that. So I I'm happy with those two. And I think Tielemans and Partey embody the answer to your question, which is, you know, someone who can do a jack of all trades and master of, of plenty of them. Mm. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think you, you need to have such a flashy player to play in that central midfield position. Because I think the beauty of that position is that so as long as you have the quality, so as long as you are able to pass the ball forward, you're able to link up well with others. Um, I think most of it is, is, is down to chemistry really to, to, to be able to execute that position. So, um, you know, you have an anchor in part A and you have someone who can link up well with part A as well as um, glue every else around them so you're able to link up well with Odegaard, Saka, you have a good playing relationship with those kind of players then you know you've hit mm -hmm. the nail on the head. Um, 
Right, just a few more players I want to talk about. Just two more. The first no one being Serge Nabry. Okay. <laughs> now again, I, yeah. I, I, this is one. This is wishful thinking. Uh, whether Arsenal get him or not, but um, it's it's a legitimate link. And <laughs> when I read um, uh, Gunnar Blog's tweet about you know yeah. players who uh, uh, once you know it was it was it was like a, a part of a wish list. These these rumors are now actually legit. And one of them being Serge Nabry. He is considering potentially moving. To back to Arsenal, but there are also uh, other teams like Madrid and Liverpool who are also in the race for him. Um, the one thing that I guess puts me off a little bit or makes the rumours um, a little bit far-fetched is the amount that he's, he's looking for. He's asking for about 240 grand a week. Um, yeah. Bayern are only willing to give him about 160. Um, do Arsenal go down this route again of giving players lucrative deals? Um, <sighs> Look, uh, it's it's tough because, you know, the top, top teams pay those kinds of wages. So if we want to be there, we have to expect that that is going to come. You know, we are going to have to pay those kind of figures. That said, you know, Spurs have been able to keep Son on a very reasonable wage mm. um, as an example. So, and, and sign long-term contracts now into his prime years going into his 30s soon, if not already. I can't remember how, I think he might be 29. It's 29, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's... It's tough, especially when a player's, you know, gone from Arsenal through to Bayern Munich and then come back to the Premier League. That's always going to cost you a lot. If if you told me that we'd be getting Gnabry for 35 million quid, which I think is around the, the suggested figure, 40 million euros, mm-hmm. and he was going on to a 240k per week contract, you know, I think I'd be over the moon <laughs> to see yeah. him back. Because I know, I know it's careless for me to use the example saying it's not my money, but at the same time, it, it, I think it... It, it works if the player succeeds. You know, no one would have batted an eyelid at Nicolas Pepe's 72 million pound figure if it had, if he'd bashed in 20 Premier League goals a season. You know, no one would have said anything about the price tag that it cost. You would just be talking about how much he's giving to the team. But because he didn't, that's when the figures come into it. So as soon as Aubameyang started to underperform after signing that 300 plus thousand pound per week contract, all we did was talk about how much we paid him mm-hmm. because he wasn't achieving. So if Serge Gnabry was to come in and play like he has been playing at Bayern Munich for the last however many seasons, I don't think we'd all, I don't think we'd talk about the wage at all. If he was to come in and obviously underperform or wasn't being given as many minutes as maybe we wanted him to, similar to how Pepe was treated at the start under Unai Emery and then under Arteta, then we would. So money's a really awkward conversation because it's so linked to playtime and output that Mm -hmm. is impossible to know before a transfer is done, before they get the chance to play. But if if the question is, do I want to see Serge Gnabry back at Arsenal? Of course is the answer. Do I think that it will happen? I would be shocked, you know, (laughs) if it happens. So, yeah. It wouldn't put it past me if Arsenal did manage to get that transfer over the line. Um, oh, yeah. We're one of those clubs, um, and I guess you know this is this is the 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 the, the good thing about Arsenal. You know, despite being in, in massive decline, I mean, you know, we managed to finish fifth last season, haven't finished mm-hmm. eighth in the previous two. But the the good thing about Arsenal is they, they their reputation remains intact. They're able to attract yeah. these big stars, you know, regardless of whether we're we're in the Champions League or not. And you know, I can't even remember the last time we were in the. Champions League that's how far back it is so um, yeah 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 Um, so you know again big possibilities but my follow up question would be and I think I know the answer but um, just for the sake of argument for the sake of conversation Serge Nabry or Cody Gakpo 
Oh, Serge Gnabry, without a doubt. Like, I, I love, I, I really like, I nearly said love. I don't think I got to saying love, but I, I really <laughs> like Cody Gakpo. Like, I think yeah. he offers a lot. I think that there's a lot to come from him. I think to start really loving a player, you need to see what they can do at a top level team first, he says, yeah. after yeah. waxing lyrical about Dominic Zobosla at Red Salzburg for so long. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot to come from Gakpo. I think that his frame, his physique, that power, again, that I like in Tavares, you know, that, that that's something I think Arsenal have lacked, um, you know, in their team. Someone with genuine power, something that I'm very worried about Erling Haaland providing to Manchester City next season because I think mm. the difference between them at winning the Champions League has been lacking that power um, that Chelsea kind of forced at times. I think Kai Havertz brought a bit of power to them, you know, when it clicked for them during that Champions League winning season. So I think that, if we can add someone like him, great. But Gnabry is a more well-rounded, more accomplished, established, world-class player. Mm. He is world-class. I have no doubt about that. And that's why I think adding that, having the potential to sign a world-class player this summer is what takes Arsenal to that next level and what we need to do and what I hope that we do. Mm. Okay. Um, last question. Arsenal will definitely be signing a player in the summer transfer window. We know that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> who do you who who do you think the first signing will be? Other than Matt Turner, of course, who's already yeah. in and Marquinhos as well, who looks also likely to be in despite this alleged legality chaos, which I honestly I'm not educated enough to really comment on. Mm-hmm. Um I think Tielemans will probably be the first one. Um if I was to put money on it, it would be him, closely followed by Jesus. But you know, things change so quick. You never know what's going to happen. To be honest, you know, I think one of the best things about this transfer window will be one, as we've already talked about, William Saliba being confirmed for the Arsenal team. Yeah. Hopefully, Bakayo Saka signing a brand new contract. That's mm-hmm. another priority that the club have. And, you know, thirdly, getting in that striker that we want. And hopefully, Jesus is that. I know not, not everybody is happy with him as the option, but getting someone like him into the team, I think, would be great. So, mm. yeah, Tillemans, I think, would be the first major one, uh, followed by Jesus. Will you be happy if Arsenal only sign about three to four players? Say a striker, a central midfielder, uh, you know, a player like Hickey to play uh, wing back. And, um, well, I don't know who mm. else we signed really, but those uh, yeah. those three in particular, is, is it enough for Arsenal to compete going forward next season in four competitions? And if you think, if you remember back to the, mm. um, to when we were last in the Europa League, we were playing a Europa League game and then losing the next league game. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all agree with, you know, that is the, the, the worst case situation for Arsenal to yeah. be in next season. Is three to four signings enough to make sure that doesn't happen again? Honestly, probably not. No. Um, what I would say is that, you know, Turner is one that you think you can change the goalkeeper every game. And I know that fitness wise, it doesn't really matter, but it's an important signing to replace Leno. You've then got um, Tillemans, Jesus, who adds, uh, Tillemans adds, you know, Tillemans isn't replacing anyone. You know, yeah. we've still got Partey, Xhaka, Lakonga, Elneny, um, Partey, have I said already? You know, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a very good group there and you're adding a player. So that's good. The striker position is obviously the big one because, you know, we've hopefully we'll keep Nketiah, Jesus coming in, that's two strikers. But if we don't sign that wide player to replace, you know, who I assume Pepe will go. Yeah. I think that leaves us a bit weak up top. So that's where I would be looking as, as saying, no, I'm not happy with just Jesus, Tielemans and Sehiki. I don't think that's enough. Um, so I'd no, I wouldn't be happy. Uh, I'd be happy. I, I said, I think on the shows, I want seven, including Turner. 
not including Marquinhos. And I think those seven were, you know, Turner, a left back, be that Hickey, um, two centre mids, so Tillemans, and then one of either Zinchenko or um, like a Gundogan or a Fabian Ruiz or someone like that. Mm-hmm. And then three forwards being two strikers. One of them could be in Ketia. I'm okay with that, but only if we get that wide forward in, you know, as well, like mm-hmm. a Gnabry or a Gakpo. So, yeah. Well, look, we're 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 definitely um, we're 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 on the road to what seems to be a really interesting summer transfer window. Not just yeah. for Arsenal fans, but for quite a lot of fans as well. Um, we're going to be seeing an influx of players coming into Newcastle. What happens to Chelsea now that they've been bought out? What happens to United with a new manager and the departure of the old? Um, he's not mm-hmm. even going to be staying on as the on the on the board of. Um, what was he supposed to be doing? Um, I think an advisory consultant? role? Consult- yeah, it was like yeah, a so consultancy role. Yeah, yeah, really strange what will be happening there. What's going to be happening at Spurs? What's going to be happening to City and Liverpool? It is going to be mm. a jam-packed summer and I'm here for it. I cannot wait. Um, Tom, thank you very much for coming on and uh, sparing us your time. It's been, yeah, I've, we've had a really good chat today, this morning. Um, so thank you. Hopefully we can have you back as well sometime Absolutely. near the windows to reevaluate. Yeah, yeah. All the, um, and if I'm free, I'll definitely do it. Yeah, right. wicked. Okay, um, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought of the show. You can reach us on Twitter at Ask Therapy Pod. Oh, before I forget, a massive, massive, um, big welcome to the brand new co-host, AFC Monty. Welcome aboard. We've got plenty um, of uh, shows coming up with him as well, um, but I'm going to leave it there for now. We'll be back next week for another show. Until then, have yourselves a very good week. Stay safe and we'll speak to you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.